Thanks for joining us online today. We're really glad you're with us. Yeah, Core Church is a place of hope, healing, peace, and purpose. And we want you to come see us at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can be of any support to you, we'd love to connect with you. There's lots of links in the description below, whether that's prayer or support in any way. We pray that this message is going to both encourage you and inspire you. We believe that God is calling dry bones to life. I just want to speak that prophetically over you today, that God wants to take you from that valley of dry bones, and he wants to bring you into a season of new beginnings. This Pentecost Sunday, if you're, if you're new to church and you're like, what's going on here? This isn't just a bunch of hype. Every person in this room right now, you can sense the power of the Holy Spirit in this place. It's like, is this what it was like 2,000 years ago? Like when they were just kind of sitting around and waiting and then all of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit showed up and he is here today and his fire wants to burn away the chaff in your life. He wants to restore you. He wants good for your life. Turn to somebody and tell them, God wants good for you. God wants good for you. Well, if you'd remain standing we're in our series called The Genius of Generosity. The Genius of Generosity. What the world calls foolish, God calls genius. This is based on our core practice of generous giving. And throughout the series, I want to encourage you, if you've not signed up yet for Financial Peace University, to do that. Um, we want to help you come alongside you. You can use the Next Step card for that. Also, the 90-day partner pledge, uh, maybe you've never given and you want to step out and you want to start giving regularly for the first time. We want to come alongside you. We've got some resources we want to put in your hands. In your chair back is the 90-day partner pledge. Fill that out. We're just going to come alongside you in these next 90 days to, to help you. But in this series, we've been, we're looking at um, four different accounts of generosity. And when I began to look at these four different accounts, what I noticed was the pattern in all four of them was these were women who were generous. Thank you, ladies, for leading us in generosity. That's just a free prop for all the guys. We love that, don't we? Because anything we get to say about the women in the room, it just makes us better. Every man, you're welcome for that comment right there. But no, we're, we're, it's so fascinating to see all these different women. So we're learning from these different women in Scripture. And I thought, how fun would it be if every week we learned from the women in our church? And so today, I'm super stoked, and some of you already know who's coming, but um, come on, somebody. Alicia Davis is coming. She's going to share with us today. Come on, Alicia. Y'all, it feels a little odd to me up here just saying good morning to you guys, because usually when I say good morning, I'm out there saying good morning, and usually when I'm on a platform, it's Saturday night, and I'm at my home celebrate recovery at the Ava Center, so yeah, got some of my friends here today, but I was honored when Brad asked me to speak today. I'm so grateful for such a strong leadership, and I had great help from our creative team in preparing this, so I am excited about being here and I get to share the third session in a series of sermons on giving. Brad said what the world calls foolish, God calls genius. Pastor Eric and Siv did a great job last week. I loved that. I mean, it takes faith to give, but faith is built by giving. 
And wasn't Sybil great with her faith board or her blessing board that she came out with? I mean, I think Amazon probably had a big run on cork boards and push pins. It was, it was great. But this morning, I hope to challenge you. I am excited about an opportunity to uh, change your perspective because what the world calls foolish, God calls genius, specifically the genius of worship. Um, worship, sometimes I think we think it's all about um, the music that we had, which was great, by the way, but the definition is really showing reverence or adoration, and today we're going to look specifically at worship in the context of generosity and giving of our finances. And we're going to look at one passage of scripture together, John 12, 1 through 8. We're going to go to the Word of God now. Six days before the Passover ceremonies began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and anointed Jesus' feet with it and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Arascot, one of his disciples, the one who would betray him, said, that perfume was worth a small fortune. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief who was in charge of the disciples' funds, and he often took some for his own use. So he was skimming off the top. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but I will not be here much longer. Now, real quick, I just want to take a minute and have you guys pray with me. Father God, I just feel so honored to be up here, but today I want only to say what you want me to say, and I only want those here today to hear what you need them to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you guys have stood long enough. You get yourself comfortable. We're going to break this scripture down. Verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover ceremonies began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. The first thing worth noting in this scripture passage is the time frame that John had indicated. It's six days before Passover ceremonies. This is important because we know that Jesus will be arrested soon. Now, I wanted you guys just to keep that on pause for a minute because I'm going to refer back to that later. The next thing worth noting is that we know that this is the hometown of Lazarus. However, we need to look at the Gospel of Mark and Matthew to see where this scene is actually taking place. Both Gospel writers say it is at the home of Simon, a man who had leprosy. They actually call him Simon the leper in the scriptures. How long do you suppose he had to live with that title? How would you like that? Buddy had cancer earlier this year. What if we just had to call Buddy from now on, Buddy the Cancer? I mean, Simon had leprosy. Clearly, he no longer has leprosy. Because having leprosy meant isolation. It meant shame, meaning no dinner parties. So we can assume that Simon the leper has been healed by Jesus. And Lazarus has been brought back from the dead. So this is a celebration they're having. Jesus is the guest of honor. Verse 2, we're going to look at. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served. Lazarus sat at the table with him. 
Of course Martha served. Martha is always serving. Brad, can I just have a minute to talk to the Marthas in the house? Just need a minute. Marthas, come on, girls. Y'all need to take a minute to just think about the fact that your dishes don't have to be perfect. I, myself, am a Martha. I find myself so consumed on making sure the parties are good and everything. You know, I have to do the church planning when we have an event and the, all the, the celebrations in my home. And I find myself so consumed about making sure everything looks good that I forget to engage with the people that are there. I mean, it happens all the time. And at the end of the event, I go, did anybody have fun? Were there conversations happening around? And, and I always feel like I got left out. So I'm just talking to the Marthas here. And you know, guys, you can be a Martha too, so don't feel left out. I know a lot of guys that are Marthas. Nobody's gonna care if the dishes aren't done. What they're gonna care about is whether or not you had a meaningful conversation with them. Speaking of conversations, we know that this guest list at this dinner party included the disciples, Martha, her sister Mary, Lazarus, Simon the leper, and of course Jesus. There's probably 15 to 20 people at this dinner party celebrating, reminiscing, having a great time. I can hear some of the conversations going on around the room. I can hear over here uh, somebody coming up to Simon and saying, man, Simon, I need the name of your dermatologist. Your skin is looking great. The last time I saw you, it was a little sketch. And then over here, somebody's talking to Lazarus, and he, he's going, man, you know, I just got up in heaven, and man, it was, I had great accommodations. My room was fabulous. I just started putting pictures up, and my bed was really comfortable. And all of a sudden, somebody knocks at the door and says, hey, Laz, get your stuff. You're moving out. And Lazarus said, you know, I was a little scared. I was like, what? What I do? Did I do something wrong? How often does this happen? I mean, where am I going? I kind of thought maybe they were sending me somewhere else, you know, somewhere else. <laughs> but so you could hear that conversation going on all around the room, right? And then suddenly there's a disturbance at the other room of the table and it all just comes to a screeching halt. Anybody ever have a family event that ended like that? Oh, I'm the only one. <laughs> I see. Great. Because you know, actually when first time Buddy ever met my family, I had a brother pour a bowl of rice over the other brother's head. So, true story, but probably a different sermon. Right, Brad? Okay, so I'll move on. Verse three. Okay, then Mary took a 12-ounce bottle of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and anointed Jesus' feet with it and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with fragrance. Now, I clean houses to supplement my income, and I clean very nice homes. And the other day, I'm cleaning this um, house, and I'm in the bathroom, and I'm cleaning the, the bathroom countertop, and I'm rushing, and I'm distracted. I'm distracted because I'm thinking about this sermon, and I'm rushing because I have a lot of things I have to do that afternoon. And suddenly, there's a crash at my feet, quickly followed by a very strong aroma of something very expensive. And I look down, and there's these shards of glass and a pool of liquid. Did I tell you it's a very nice home? 
They have very nice things. This is probably not a Walgreens brand bottle of perfume. <laughs> My entire day's work could probably be pooling on the floor right there. My entire wage for the day is floating through the air, probably reaching my client in the next room by now. All three of the Gospels tell us that this is an expensive bottle of perfume that Mary poured over the head of Jesus. John is the only one who mentions the size of the bottle. Based on studies of the scriptures from people who are way smarter than me, this bottle is equivalent to a full year's wage. Now let that sink in a minute. What do you make in a year? What's your yearly salary? Can you imagine what that would feel like? I mean, I knew what it felt like to see my full day's wage on the floor. Now think about how that would feel to let that go at one dinner party. It was a very large act of worship by Mary. How was she able to do that? This may have been a family heirloom, perhaps their retirement, their life's savings. Why did she do that? What foolishness. She poured her 401k over the head of Jesus. What was she thinking? Judas was also thinking that Mary was acting foolish. In verse 5, it says, that perfume was worth a fortune. It should have been sold and given to the poor. Well, John, he holds nothing back about letting us know how Judas felt about the use of the expensive perfume, he also gave us a little clue about how he felt about Judas. Verse six, not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief who was in charge of the disciples' funds, our funds, and he often took some for his own use. So why would Mary do this thing? Why would Judas rebuke him so strongly? Well, it all has to do with what kind of view you have of Jesus. Judas believed Jesus to be the king of the Jews here on earth. He was positioning himself to be a top hand to the ruler of this world. He wanted to be the man right next to the king. He wanted to be the top dog. Mary... To him, the kind of worship that Mary had was demonstrating foolishness. Mary had a different view of Jesus. She saw Jesus as her heavenly father. He was her heavenly king, her savior, her healer. She was present when Jesus performed miracles. She believed him to be her miracle maker. Mary couldn't have been in a position to view worship this way without her view of Jesus. Every time we see Mary in scripture, she's at Jesus' feet. She's watching, she's listening, she's learning and taking in everything he does. And recently, she witnessed the most amazing thing to date because Jesus raised her own brother back to life. So when I ask how could she have done such a foolish thing? I would wonder, 
how could she not? She had a different view of who Jesus was than Judas. Mary wanted to elevate Jesus. Judas wanted to elevate himself. He was thinking earthly. Mary was thinking eternal. Complete transparency right here. I'm going to pull the curtain back. I've had a Judas mindset. I have not always had a proper view of who Jesus is. Buddy and I came to this church 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, you probably wouldn't have recognized us. And it's not, I'm not, it's not talking about the gray hair, the extra weight, and the wrinkles. <laughs> I'm talking about the fact that when we walked into this church, we were unbelievers and we were addicts. Our third grader invited, was invited by friends, and he came to this church in our very own Brad Farnsworth, prayed the salvation prayer with him that Sunday. Now the next weekend, he drug his father and I to the church, somewhat reluctantly, and those friends that had invited us, well, we began, they began to disciple us, and they, we would sit around their kitchen table countless hours discussing the Word of God, prayer, baptism. They explained all these things that were foreign to us. They, we listened and learned about this Jesus that they loved. And one evening, the subject of tithing came up. And they explained part of worship was giving 10%. And I remember thinking, <laughs> wait, 10%? Are we sure, did I hear 10, two, did I hear 2%? Are you sure it was 10%? Is that, is that number up for negotiation? Is that a firm number? 10%. It was a tough concept. You see, I was still working on my view of Jesus. You know what's so amazing about the local church is that we don't have to pay anything to come. We come, we worship. Now you go to the gym, and they're going to charge you. Anybody here have a gym membership? I've got some gym rats. All righty then. You know, Buddy and I belong to a gym. Well, we signed a contract. <laughs> it was actually at a place down on Aspen. And they have a pretty, that one that has that pretty impressive flight of stairs. Who is just a workout getting up into the workout space? In hindsight, maybe we just chose the wrong gym. Because we just quit going. But we also quit paying. You know what? They didn't forget about that contract. Because when we went to buy our home, and we were going to close on our loan, they made us pay that contract. It's been a long time since we've been to the gym. We've been in our house 30 years now. <laughs> Maybe we ought to revisit that gym thing now that we're getting older. But I have to ask, why could I convince myself that paying for a membership at a gym was a better reward than being generous to God who has done so much for me. If I think of all the things I just instinctively do without batting an eye, I mean, how many times do I just, our vacations, our car payments, 
The Shoe of the Month Club. Thank you, Brad Farnsworth. <laughs> How many times do I put that in the priority column? <laughs> you know, when we don't give God our first, we're taken off the top, just like Judas. When I think of all I have received from my relationship from the church, how my life has been radically changed from the day I walked in, I get a different view of who Jesus is. I mean, you have to understand, Buddy and I were immediately changed. He was Lazarus. I was Simon. He was dead in his addictions. And Jesus brought him back to me. But he never went back to his addictions. It was a miracle. I witnessed it. I was Simon, so full of shame, so isolated in my addiction. Coming to church was hard. I was certain I would be judged, shamed, and on the contrary, I was just loved. So when my, our friends explained the concept of tithing, <laughs> my first thought was, how can I possibly justify that? But after witnessing the impossible becoming possible, I had to ask, how could I not? He had given me back my husband. He had brought me back to life. I had my shame removed. My view of Jesus changed. What the world calls foolish, God calls genius. So if you battle with this, trust me, I get it. I remember the first time we wrote out our tithe check. We're sitting at our kitchen table and had our pile of bills and Buddy wrote out the tithe check and oh, I winced. I said, are you sure we can do this? And back then we didn't have all these fancy ways of giving like we do now and you know, they just passed a bucket around. And I remember Buddy, and that bucket came by and it was everything we could do to drop that check in there. And then Buddy watched that thing go up the road, <laughs> and back down the road, and up, until it got all the way to the very back and they handed it to the bouncers. <laughs> I think they called them something else. I think they were ushers or something, but that's the only thing we knew. I mean, we thought they're gonna bounce us out of here for sure some point. I really, I had to literally hold Buddy back because I thought he was going to follow them out and figure out where that check was going. <laughs> that was our first act of obedience and it was tough. And I was certain we were going to struggle to pay our bills. I was worried about things. I was worried about my needs, my desires. And I mean, I do have desires and, and I have needs and that's important. My family's needs are important. Your family's needs are important. But I don't want to be like Judas, more concerned about elevating my needs. I want to have a merry mindset. 
I need my view of Jesus to be one of worship. And somehow we were able to pay all our bills each month as we continued this act of tithing. The whole idea seemed foolish to me. I didn't understand God's math. I didn't understand God's the, the foolishness, but God is genius. Y'all, you know, when, when I read the Bible, I find myself just immersing myself in the story. I can't help myself. I just get in there and I just, I just think of myself being right there with them, right? And, and it's a beautiful way of reading your word. I mean, I just encourage you to just put yourself in there. Imagine yourself right there with them. And so I did this with this story and um, I love it when God allows me to have this personal picture. And I couldn't help but think about um, what happened after that dinner party when Jesus was going along his, you know, going down the street. He was going on his way to Jerusalem. And, and I had to think that every once in a while as he was going, he probably caught a little whiff of that perfume. And I think that he probably, because it does linger, perfume, any of you guys that wear it or cologne. And I think when he did, I think he smiled and he remembered Mary. He went, man, that Mary, what an extravagant gift. Man, she's something. She's so beautiful. I just love her. Boy, she sure got under Judas' skin. <laughs> it sure made him mad. I wish Judas would have gotten it. I wish Judas could have seen me a little differently. I sure love that man. And I bet as he wandered down the road and continued on his ministry, every once in a while he just picked up that tunic and smelled it and remembered Mary and her extravagant gift, her extravagant love. The aroma is very powerful. Scripture tells us in verse 3 that the house was filled with the fragrance. So I encourage you today, imagine for a moment that this house is filled with the fragrance. Breathe it in. Breathe it in and be reminded of the sacrifice that you're providing. I mean, I encourage you today to look around. I want you to look up and down the rows because around you are faces of people who have received their miracle. Up and down these rows, I'm telling you, look, you're not looking. You look around, you see the faces because there are people in here who have had miracles happen, people who have been healed, people who have had marriages that seem like they were just shattered, brought back together, people who were sick, who were no longer sick, people who were praying for a child, their cribs are filled now. People who have had horrible addictions are now free of that. The miracles are here. And you know what? There are people sitting here right now that are still waiting on their miracle too. I encourage you to look around because these are the faces. This is what you're doing when you have a generous attitude of worship, because your worship in the form of giving in this section 
is filled with the fragrance of lives being transformed. And God calls it genius. Let's pray. Father, man, I want to have a merry attitude. I want to be able to view you as Mary did. I want to be generous with my finances because I want everyone to know the miracle that happens when you just let go and trust you. Lord, thank you that you are so good to us. I want to invite Buddy to come up for just a minute. Um, it's just been so great the last 20 years to call them not just friends but family and to be so um, close to them. And uh, can we celebrate Buddy's healing, first of all? Like, no cancer, no cancer. That's it. <laughs> um, it's just, I don't know, I'm just sitting there watching this lady who, everything she was saying, I walked that journey with both of them, so I, I know those stories, and I'm like, man, I remember that. And, and I think it's, it, with the ministry they're doing, um, at, at, if you don't know, they, they, um, they lead Abba Compassionate Ministries, so that's Celebrate Recovery, it's prison ministry, it's uh, Abba Homes, it's a manor house, it's a, a step studies, on and on and on, just helping people. And it is, it takes an incredible amount of expenses to keep that ministry going. And, and most of the people that they, they work with don't have extravagant amounts of money to give. And so it'd be so easy for them. <laughs> I was just mesmerized sitting there. I was like, if anybody has an excuse to hold on to their money, it's these two. Uh, because they don't make very much and, and they're giving out so much and not much is coming in. And I just want you to see that if there's any example of generosity in our church, if there's any example of why to be generous and what God can do through your generosity, and if anybody expresses that form of worship any better than these two, I, I don't know. Can we just honor them and thank them for what they have done and who they are and the ministry that they do? in this community, in this city, and the lives that are being changed because of their generosity. Stretch out your hands, church. Let's pray for them. Father, thank you for Buddy and Alicia. Thank you for the example. Thank you, God, for two people that have lived generosity. Um, Thank you. That example just speaks so deeply to us as a people. I know they give because of an act of worship. They know what's done, what you've done in their lives, and they see what you're doing in other people's lives, and they can't help but give. I pray that that fragrance, if the fragrance of generosity is on anybody, it's on them, and we pray that that fragrance would move out to us in our congregation, each and every person in this room, that it would get on all of us. We would smell that sweet fragrance of generosity 
Bless them financially, God. Meet every need, but I'm asking you, God, to do beyond what they need, God. I pray that you bless them extravagantly financially. God, I pray specifically that you would overwhelm them financially, God, that there would be people who would say, you know what, I don't have much to give, but I'm gonna give whatever I can give to support that ministry and to help them in any way that I can. God, thank you that provision is coming and is poured out from heaven upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. We hope the message you heard both encourages you and inspires you. Yeah, we'd love for you all to come and see us at Core Church at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can support you in any way or you'd like to get connected with us, there are links in the description below. Thanks again for joining us online.